0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Michael Jones. How are you doing, Michael?
1: Yeah, good. Thank you, Sam. Nice to be back on the podcast.
0: Yeah, really good to have you back on. I know we had you on a couple of times early on in the season. Uh, and Francesco Ainsbury. How are you doing, Francesco?
2: Buonasera, Sam. I'm um, well. Thank you. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a little while. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, good to be back. Um, and today's going to be a bit of a transfer special, guys, because we know that the window closed earlier this week. So we're going to have a look through uh, how the different Serie A clubs fared in January. Um, and there's only one place to start, really, Michael, and that's with Juventus. So I think most people feel had a really strong month. Uh, the main signing of the summer being Dusan Vlahovic from Fiorentina for around 75 million euros I think is the quoted fee. Um, How good a signing is this for them do you think? Um, Is there any way that he won't be a hit at Juve? I
1: I think it's not guaranteed to be hit but I think it's as close to it as quite possibly be when you look at the ability that Vlahovic has and I think it's so good to see him staying in Serie A. Obviously there was a lot of interest from the likes of Tottenham Hotspur, Arsenal and Think Newcastle were reported as well. But to see him there and to stay in a league that he's familiar with at this stage in his career. And you hope he's at with, with Juve for many years to come really. But I I think it's um I think it's a brilliant piece of business by Juventus signing a player at that age who's really at the top of his game in a position that, you know, they've struggled to really master for a few years. Obviously they had Cristiano Ronaldo, but in that, in its sense, the impact it had on a wider team, there was you know, claims that it was to their detriment at times, especially on the wages. But with Vlahovic, I feel like that, the wages won't be anywhere near as much an issue. And in terms of what he's going to contribute, aside from just the goals, I think it's, yeah, sensational p- piece of business.
0: Yeah, interesting point with Ronaldo, because obviously he signed when he was around uh, 33, 34 for Juve. Vlahovic is coming up. I believe he actually signed the deal on his 22nd birthday, Francesco. Um, we know that there's... You know, the relationship between Juve and Fiorentina, particularly their fans, isn't the best. Um, we've seen business in recent years, the likes of Bernadeschi and Chiesa go into Juve. D- do Fiorentina fans have a reason to be upset over the way this has come about? Because it seemed quite a quick departure. I think maybe people were expecting Blahovic to stay until the end of the season, perhaps
2: i would say no they don't really have uh, a great reason to be upset i understand why they are upset you know you mentioned a couple of players there you can add quadrado and further back baggio so some huge players have gone from fiorentina to uva in the past and there is a bit of rivalry there but objectively if you i'm sure that fiorentina fans will come around to, to why they made this decision because if you think about it objectively Vlaovic, if you wait until the summer transfer window, he prob- his value probably goes down by another 25 million. Uh, if you wait until the window after that, the chances are you're not even gonna get any offers for him. So to sell a player who is definitely gonna leave the club, um, you know, sooner or later, he's not gonna renew his contract and get uh, approximately 70 million euros for him, uh, which they've already used to to reinforce their squad I actually think this is very good business by Fiorentina. Um you know it's that that kind of money is enough to run the club for for a season basically. So it's a huge amount of money for a club like Fiorentina and there was a very real risk that they would lose Vlaovic for a lot less, you know, if they'd waited till the end of this uh to the end of the season. And there's no guarantee even with Vlaovic there that that they'll get into the Champions League. I think if there was a real chance that they could have got into the Champions League by keeping him, it might have been different, they could, they would have had more reason to be upset but you know they're, they're having a very good season, I still think they're an ambitious club and if you consider all the factors and the fact that there was a good chance they'd lose him even for nothing eventually, 70 million euros I think is is a good buy, uh, is, sorry is, is good money and the players they brought in as well are you know seem interesting, it looks like they are still being positive bringing in players so Whilst I understand why Fiorentina fans are upset, I actually think um, that the whole Vlaovic situation from start to finish has actually been handled really well by the club.
0: Yeah, we'll talk more about Fiorentina um, a little bit later on. Um, Another transfer that I want to touch on with Juve is uh, Dennis Zakaria in in the midfield. Um, We know that the Juventus midfield has been a problem for quite a while, Michael. Um, Does this fix their midfield or, or at least at least uh, sort of significantly strengthen it for the second half of the season, do you think?
1: I'm not sure if it significantly strengthens it. I definitely don't think it fixes it, but I do think it's a good move, nevertheless. I think it's probably an upgrade on Bentancur, especially over the past two seasons. What was really interesting is that, you know, Zakaria spent five seasons or just under it, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and they paid more for him when he was a teenager from Young Boys and Juventus have paid, obviously, with his contract running down. So... I think it's four and a half million pounds or euros. I can't remember which one, but it's an absolute bargain for a player of his experience, you know, two World Cups, really talented midfield player. And I do think it is. he's so disciplined. And I think unlike Bentancoy, he probably relishes the responsibility in a holding role a bit more. And I do think that will definitely at least give more license to the likes of Locatelli um, and Arturo playing alongside him to just, go venture a bit further forwards with there being a bit of a better protection at the back. So I think it's a good signing. I think it's great business. But, you know, Juve's, Juve's midfield has been an issue for a number of seasons. And I think that alone won't address it, but it's the right steps for sure.
0: As well as the players that they brought in, I think a lot of Juve fans were quite pleased that they managed to offload some players as well. Um, Francesco, we saw uh, Ben and Kulusevski go to Tottenham and we saw Aaron Ramsey, a little surprisingly, go to Rangers. Um, do you think it was right for them to get rid of those three players? Can any of them perhaps feel a bit hard done by? And uh, I know that a couple of those, Kulusevski and Ramsey, are only on loan for the moment. Do you think it's the end of their Juve careers or, or is there a way back perhaps, you know, maybe more so for Kulusevsky?
2: I think with Ramsey, uh, Juve were just really quite desperate to get rid of him um, and they were struggling to find a place for him to go because his wages are so high. So, you know, they've they've sorted out this loan deal um, with Rangers um, and it's probably the best they could have hoped for. He's hardly seen the pitch this season, so... To expect a club in, to come in and buy him without having seen him play for for six months it's unlikely especially considering the wages he's gonna he's gonna want so Rangers is going to contribute i think a little bit towards his wages he's going to get basically a window to show what he can do and i think the idea there is that they'll possibly get an offer in the summer um with the other two i'm i'm not sure if it's a good uh, thing that they've let them go at this stage i think you know michael's right when he says that Bentancourt hasn't been as good in the last maybe year or so. But I think that is part of all of Juve struggling, you know, since kind of Pirlo took over. And well, really before that, since Sarri was there and Pidlot took over. And I actually think Bentancourt, you know, considering how difficult Juve found things in the last couple of seasons has, has been one of their better players. I still think he's one of their, he was one of their stronger midfielders, even though he's not been brilliant. And he's still quite young. Um, and with Kulosevsky, I feel like Kulosevsky is possibly one of the most disappointing things about Juba over the last couple of years. Um, and that's not necessarily his fault. I feel like he's not being used correctly. I think when he, he's not being used a lot as well. And when he has played, he's been played out of position. I think potentially he is a, a top European footballer. And um, we just didn't really see his full potential at Juve because because of the changes in formation and managers and... Yeah. I, I, I guess the bottom line is that you having spent so much to bring Blavich in needed to bring some money in as well. And Ben and Kulusevsky had had a market. So, but I, I also think that if, if that, um, you know, if they hadn't needed the money or if they'd been able to keep those two players, they possibly would have. So it's going to be interesting to see how they get on in in the Premier League. And maybe you will have some regrets, um, uh, but and i don't really expect either player to come back but we'll see what happens
0: Just one last thing I want to touch on with Juve, and that's Paolo Dybala. Uh, His contract runs out in the summer. Um, There's been this sort of drawn-out affair where at times we've been told, oh, he's about to sign, he's about to sign. The latest reports are that he's being offered to clubs and that his agent's going to do a bit of a European tour, apparently, which I always find it quite funny when players are offered to clubs. Oh, please take him, please. Um, (laughs) But... Michael, do you think he will leave Juve, particularly now with Vlahovic maybe coming? Does that make it perhaps more likely that he moves on or could you still see him sticking around beyond this season and signing a new contract?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been a sour taste with the withdrawal of the, well, the supposed withdrawal of the contract offer put onto him that he seemed happy with earlier in the season. And I think maybe what the Vlahovic transfer indicates is that Juventus aren't as fix, won't be as fixated to return for him, whereas if they were struggling without Vlahovic sort of in that second half of the season and Dybala was to be even more central, not that I don't think it will be for them, then they may have been you know, more willing to um, return to that contract offer. However, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think if they are doing this European tour, as you said, the likelihood is, is that, you know, DiBAL is a superbly talented footballer. As a free agent, he's going to be offered some pretty hefty contracts. And that is only just going to drive his price up more. And if Juventus haven't sort of committed to, at this stage, I don't see that changing in the last few months. I feel like nowadays in modern football, you rarely see a player around this age renew when the contract gets low down. I think there's normally been enough time for it to happen for it to happen and I think we've got to that point where I don't think it will and it'd be really interesting to see where it goes but I'm not I'm not so certain that um, we're going to be seeing him in a Juve shirt next season. I th- I agree with a lot of the things
2: Michael said there um, and I think one of the issues Dybala has and, and Juve have and, and really any of the clubs that might potentially sign him is that the fact that he's missed so many games this season and last season, I think there are real question marks about his kind of physical integrity, um, and it's very difficult for a club to to pay you know huge wages on a player that should be central to their kind of project, but you can't rely on him to play more than kind of sixty percent of the games. I mean, I don't know the stats exactly, but it feels like DiBALAS missed you know two, one out of every three games this season. He he always seems to be injured, and so I. I'd be very surprised if he re-signs for Juve. Um, And I also think he probably is going to have to change his wage demands if he wants to stay at a top European club, you know, a club that's playing in the Champions League. Um, I get the feeling that he might get some offers from clubs like Newcastle, for example, uh, teams that, you know, are coming from a different place that are trying to make marquee signings and have the money and maybe they'll offer him the money he needs. And I wouldn't even be that surprised if he ends up, you know, on a different continent. We saw what happened with Insigne. You know, he's basically able to command was basically able to command three times the wages in in the US than than he was in Europe. I think DiBala is going to be in a similar situation where he could go to the Far East or the Middle East or the US and and earn twenty million euros a year, which might be what he wants. Or he's going to have to. Or he's going to want to stay in Europe, but maybe get what he's getting now or or a little bit more. And you know, I still think when he's fit and playing, he is an excellent footballer. Even this season, his numbers stack up when he's actually on the pitch. He's He's got assists and goals and you'll and look a better team when he's there, I think. But he misses so many games or he has over the kind of last year and a half that it makes it a bit of a gamble for the biggest club. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him.
0: Yeah, of course he was Serie A MVP a couple of seasons ago, wasn't he? But uh, but as you say, he he has had quite a few fitness issues since then. Uh I want to move on to Inter now, who um who are obviously top of the league at the moment. And I think it's fair to say they had a really strong window as well. Um in the final week they managed to bring in Robin Gerson's from Atalanta. Um, I know we've spoken about Vlahovic and how that's the sort of marquee signing at the window. But Michael, could this Gurson signing turn out to maybe be the signing of the January transfer window they're getting a player in his peak who's been nothing short about standing for Atalanta the last sort of three seasons hasn't he
1: yeah no he's been such a credit to Atalanta's rise he's been such a credit to marketing Serie A from a broader perspective really sort of seeing a German international who's kind of come from a low-key background really thrive in this system I think it's in terms of the player and the fit for the club, Gersons under Inzagi in this current inter Milan team is a terrifyingly good prospect. Um, I guess there are question marks again. You know, we were just discussing Dybala and fitness there. Gersons has only played six games in the league this season, I think. He's struggled with injury last season as well. So, you know, whether that is going to become a bit of a longer-term issue, we really hope not. Because the thing is with Gersons, is he is an explosive wing back and his role you know, and what makes him so good at his role requires an awful lot of running. So he, I think Inter Milan may be the best step they can do. And I think they are in a position in a luxurious position when they don't have to rush him back into the first, you know, get him into that first team as quickly as possible. They don't have to do that. And I think they have to really carefully manage him for the first few months to make sure that when they do eventually deploy him in the team, he's ready. But if, if it all goes right, it's such exciting business. I mean, it, Really gives them such an added goal threat, and I think the prospect of him and him on one side of the wing backs and Dumfries on the other, just bombarding down those flanks, is almost like Inzaghi's just taken what um, Gasparini had at Atalanta a couple of years ago with Hatterbur and Gersons, and arguably made it even stronger. And I think it's yeah, I think it's such an exciting move, but I just think there is that caveat that they do have to be careful when integrating them into the team.
0: And of course, the strength and depth that they have in those positions as well. I think Ivan Perisic has been one of their better players this season and Matteo Damian sort of having a late career renaissance as well. Um, another player that Inter signed was Felipe Caicedo Francesco on, on a loan deal. Um, I think we were all shocked when Lazio let him go to Genoa um, in the summer and, and Vedat Mariki, of course, didn't really step up um, as, as Lazio's backup striker. So that, that did look like strange business. What do you make of him now going to Inter? Because they do have quite a few players in, uh, who can play in that front too, the likes of Lautaro Martinez, uh, Dzeko, Alexis Sanchez and and uh, Joaquin Correa. Do you think Caicedo could be a decent option, though, to maybe come off the bench late in games a, a bit like he was um, at Lazio?
2: This Caicedo move um, makes sense in a lot of ways. You know, Inzaghi obviously knows him well from his time at Lazio. I think you know they have other options up front, but possibly Caicedo is the most suited um, when Zeko isn't available. I think there have been a couple of times this season when Zeko hasn't played and Inter, from a kind of physical point of view, have looked a bit light up front. And Caicedo is the kind of guy who you can bring in and, and will do some of the things that, that zeco does and, and have that physical presence as well, which I think, in game, does rely on that a little bit. Um, and it's also quite a low risk move. Um, I don't think it's cost them very much. It's only a loan. Um, and it's it's a player who's tried and tested in Serie A. Um, I think he statistically he's one of the best performers off the bench. He got loads of goals from you know late goals for Lazio coming off the bench last season for Inzaghi. Um, you know, and he's played he played in the Champions League for them. So if you consider as well that Inter are, at the moment they're still in the Coppa Italia, they're still in the Champions League. You know, they've got this Scudetto running. Um, they're going to be playing a lot of games. And some of their strikers, you know, Correa got injured recently, have shown that, and, and I think both Zirco and Lautaro mismatches this season, so they've all shown that they have had a few physical issues. Having another player, especially someone who gives you something slightly different, is is probably good business, and it's very low-risk business. So I, I think it's another smart move from Inter.
0: Yeah, certainly looking strong going into the second half of the season. Uh, I want to move on to Atalanta uh, because it sort of ties in with... You know, they lost Robin Gorson's. That's that's quite a loss for them this window. Another player who was heavily linked with a move away was Duvan Zapata. I know that uh, Newcastle and West Ham were rumoured to be trying to get him. Uh, he, He ended up staying, but it seems there'll be a lot of interest in him again in the summer. I just wonder, Michael, is there a point where it becomes a bit of a concern that they keep losing their best players they they've seemed to replace them remarkably well over the years but can they keep going down this strategy and remaining competitive where they're finishing in the top 3 or 4 every year and possibly even pushing on even further
1: yeah i mean i, d- I do think out of some of the top clubs That They have been one of the most prudent in the transfer market in the last few years. I think there's been really encouraging signs in that sense. And I think it's just an obvious, if anything, you know, like Atalanta and Milan together, AC Milan together, I think they're both in similar positions where it has become a bit of a recurring theme. But what that does happen, and you've seen it with teams around the continent as well, is it does a lot? You do see a lot of the teams that that happens to they do tend to actually become some of the more sustainable clubs because they're aware of these issues. They do have to plan long term. So obviously, it's not great, um, but I do think that it's not. You know, then they they've had a good track record recently of finding good replacements, and I think they'll continue to do so.
0: Yeah, it just seems like that they seem to be losing these star players you know, a little more regularly as it, as it goes along. We saw Papu Gomez go last January. Uh, Gerson's gone now. He's been one of their best players the last three years. Um, Francesco, what are your thoughts on Atalanta moving into the second half of the season?
2: Yeah, what, what I'd say about this is that um, Atalanta have shown that they're also very good at kind of regenerating. So when they lose these these big players um they've always or or today kind of over the last five years they've always been able to bring in someone who's done as well and if you think as well that uh, like Michael was saying Gozens has played hardly at all this season for them I think he you know five or six games and the players who they brought in like Mailer for example have really kicked on I think Mailer's become an excellent player you know an excellent wide player he's he's another guy who who really came from nowhere and they are I think they've got an excellent scouting network I think also they are getting a reputation as being a club who will you know um help you grow your career um if you think about the kind of signings they made in the summer you know morso could have gone anyway. went to atalanta um demiral after kind of having a decent start at there struggled a bit and now he's he's back on track at atalanta even a player like coop miners i think coop miners could have gone to many european clubs and he you know, he's having a very good first season and the chan and, and a lot of these players who end up at Atalanta then they go on to bigger t- teams like Gosens um and uh you know, there's there's a whole host like Kessier, for example. There's so many players who end up at Atalanta, have two or three very, very good seasons under Gasperini and are picked off then by, by huge European clubs. So at the same time, whilst you're there, or certainly over the last few seasons, you've been able to play Champions League football and in Europe. So as a prospect, I think for players, uh, you know, like Borga and especially Borga, but Mihailo as well, the players they brought in, the, you know, you're going to play in a team that play excellent football, attacking football. You're going to probably play in the Champions League or certainly in Europa League. And, you know, it is a window for for the biggest European clubs who have shown time again that they're interested in Atalanta players playing under Gasperini. So I can see why they are able to bring in, you know, fresh talent to replace the players that they, they sell on.
0: I want to, uh, yeah, stick with... Uh... Who they did bring in this this window, and I, I think Jeremy Boga is the one that a lot of people are really quite excited about. He's he's a player they've been linked with for for about six to twelve months actually. I think it could have happened in the summer, but but they didn't quite get it across the line. Um, Michael, obviously they lost. Atalanta lost Papu Gomez a year ago. Um, he didn't die. He just went to Sevilla. <laughs> but I just realised the way I said that, but he he went off to Sevilla. Um, And since then, they've been quite reliant on playing, you know, a a couple behind normally Zapata. And it's been left-footed players like Ilicic and Malinowski and Pesina. With Boga coming in off that left wing on his right foot, does that maybe balance up the attack a bit more in a way that we haven't seen since Papu Gomez left?
1: Yeah, I certainly think it provides more balance. And even though Papu Gomez himself wasn't the fastest footballer, I mean, he was kind of one of those players, wasn't he, that who seemed a bit faster with the ball because his He's just so intelligent and he was technically so good as well. And he kept the play moving really fast. Whereas Boga probably isn't going to offer all that in the sense, but he is a really fast, direct player. And, and, you know, like you said, a right-footed player coming in off the left is certainly something that I think Atalanta have needed. I do think there is this concern, and maybe it's something that Gasparini's ultimately just recognised that you know, Gomez ultimately is probably one of those irreplaceable footballers. And there has been, we've seen this shift with the use of Pasalic further up the field as well, where they have become a bit more of, um, a bit less of a fluid, fluid side in the final third. And I think, the, okay, there's still going to be, bog is going to bring more variation to the Atalanta attacks, but I'd still like to see them maybe try and find somebody who can offer a bit more creativity in the final third, like Papi Gomez did. But I, I think the sort of pessimist inside me doesn't think that's going to happen because maybe it just can't, and um, the kind of budgets that they operate on.
0: Yeah, so we've spoken about three uh, teams who were pretty busy in the transfer window with, with incomings and outgoings. Uh, I want to move on to Milan, who who had quite a quiet transfer window. Um, and I, I think the main thing to take from from the past few weeks is that it seems that Frank Kessier is not going to stay and he's going to run down his contract, a bit like we saw with Donnarumma and Chalanolu last year. Francesco, how do you think that Milan should handle this situation over the next sort of four or five months. Um, do you expect him to stay in the team like we saw with Chananoglu and Donnarumma? Or is there an argument that perhaps they should start moving towards playing maybe Tonali and Ben Asser in that pivot and, and you know, sort of brushing Kessier to the side if he's not going to stay with the club?
2: It's It's interesting. I actually think it would have almost been better if he had signed for another club because I think now he's in a situation where he doesn't have the guarantee of a contract that he's already signed. And so for the next few months, you know, I agree with you, Sam, I think there's a, there's a, I'd I'd be amazed if he signs for Milan. I think he's definitely gonna leave and he's probably gonna get lots and lots of offers. But that is, you know, relying on the fact that at the moment he's physically fit and he's playing well. And I think the biggest threat to that is if he gets injured. And if he'd have signed already for for the team, he probably wouldn't be worrying about that as much. But now the fact that he, you know, he knows he needs to get to the end of the or until he signs the contract or or to the summer, whenever it is, he needs to get to that point still not being injured, because if he gets injured, he's not going to get those offers. So I think whereas before I didn't think it would affect his game, I feel like now there is a very real chance it could. Um, I mean, the rumor is that he is going to start the derby on the weekend and he's probably going to play behind the strikers so i think at the moment uh, i mean if that is true then it looks like purely still thinks he can he can give a lot to the team but i wouldn't be too surprised if if we do see his kind of performances you know go down in level and and maybe they you know i think the point you're making about um, Tornali and Benacer I think those two are excellent players anyway and you know in terms of the future as well maybe it is a good idea to try those out so it is going to be interesting
1: to see what happens with Kisier I think one thing that they have kind of going for them in this uh, in, well maybe two factors really is one is the leadership within that AC Milan camp I think Pioli's management has generally been pretty sound and these issues are generally things which are out of his control and I do think you know his message might be to Kessier, Look, you've got if you're putting yourself in the shop window, put the best version of yourself out in the shop window. And I think we could see. I mean, Kessier has always struck me as quite a professional player when he's on the pitch, at the very least. And I think I, I I I I'm quite confident that he could have quite a strong entity. I don't think AC Milan should be looking to bench him either. I don't think it's in their interests. I think. So you know their priority ultimately is in the Champions League, so they can get the best replacement from as possible. The other factor in terms of leadership is having players like Zlatan Ibrahimovic there, who even if Kessier's is running his contract down, he's the you know we've seen with anecdotes of him in the past, he's not going to be the type of player. He's just going to like sort of Cassie just kind of you know um, drag his feet about really in the final few months of his contract and not do anything about it. And I think. I'm, I'm, You know, it's going to be a bit of a sad ending for AC Milan and, you know, the inevitable what's going to happen this summer, but maybe there could be a good final few months.
0: Thank you for bringing up Zlatan Ibrahimović because we are going to move uh, on to his situation next because he's out of contract um, at the end of the season. Um, it, again, a, a bit like the Dybala one in terms of there's been times where you think, oh, he's about to sign and then it hasn't happened. Um Francesco, should Milan be looking to give him another year? He's now into his forties. He just keeps getting injured, doesn't he? I know he got injured again just before we've we've gone on this sort of two-week break. Is it worth keeping him around, or is it time for Milan to move on from Zlatan?
2: I think if it was up to me, I'd I'd be very tempted to to move him on uh, to not offer him a deal because not not so much because of what he does, because I think he's still does give something to the team, but he commands a huge wage still. And if if Milan didn't have to pay those wages, it might free them up to bring in you know a younger player. Um, and also, if you look at Milan's stats over, I think, this season, but, but possibly also last season as well, in terms of their performances and their wins and the points they bring in, they actually do better without Zlatan in the team. Um, so statistically, they are a better side without Zlatan. I know that that doesn't, you know, necessarily give a true reflection of of what he brings to the side but i feel like he could only really be useful next season in the similar way to how kaysedo was useful for lazio last season you know he is the kind of player who can have an impact from the bench but i wouldn't want him to make him central to milan's plans and because of the type of character he is and his experience and his history i'd be surprised if he'd be happy to to have that kind of role so I mean, it depends what he would be keen to do. If he'd be keen to take, you know, to sign a new contract on, on less money, knowing that he's probably going to be more of a, you know, a bit part player, then, then yeah, I'd probably say yeah, it's worth uh, re-signing him. But if he still wants to be central to the project and he still wants t- to earn seven and a half million euros or whatever it is his season, then for a club like Milan, I think that's very very difficult to sustain.
0: We'll see what, what they decide. I, I imagine the decision will, will be made in the next couple of months on his future. Another club who had a quiet month is Lazio. And it seems that, that you know their fans and Maurizio Sari aren't too happy about it. There's been some reports in the paper, uh, in the in the paper, well, just reports on the internet and whatnot that um Sari really isn't happy, and he's sort of given an ultimatum where he said either he or the sporting director uh, Igli Tare—I I, I, think—is how you pronounce the name. I may have pronounced that wrong. Um, either one of them has to go at the end of the season. Do you do you believe that, Michael? Do you, do you think there really is a you know a sort of um? disagreement there and, and if so which one would you get rid of um, because it, it seems Sarri's really not happy with, with the squad that he's got at the moment
1: Yeah I mean I, I certainly think it's feasible that it's all happening for starters I think you know you look at Sari's previous 10 years and even though they've not really been unsuccessful on, in terms of what they've achieved and what they've won with Juve, won the league, with Chelsea won the Europa League but I do think that there's, uh, and he got them back into the Champions League as well, but I I do think there's generally, you know, with Sarri, it's quite hard to see. He clearly, it seems to be he's quite good at sort of keeping these issues out of the public eye a lot of the time. But It's not quite been the case at Lazio this season. And it seems, you know, what was a really intriguing and exciting appointment at the beginning of the season hasn't quite worked out that way. And if anything, Lazio have maybe been one of the most disappointing teams in Serie A this season. So I, I must admit, I don't know too much about uh, the, the man on the board that you're just referring to. But in terms of uh, Sari himself, I, I do think he's, he's looking for that long-term project again. And if he doesn't have faith that it's going to be done properly or well, to his liking, then I could maybe see him walking. I'd personally like to see him stay. I think he, there's still plenty of potential for him in this stint at Lazio. I think he's proven that he's that good of a coach. But I do think there is um, every possibility he may walk away at the end of the season. I, I think, you know, if it, was, if it
2: really came down to a choice between the two, then there is no question they should keep Tada Because if you look at what Tada has been able to do uh, over the last few seasons it's difficult to argue with it. I mean, Lazio operate on a much smaller budget than the teams they're competing with, and yet they've been able to bring in players like Luis Alberto, like Milinkovic, Savic. Not only they've been able to bring them in, they've been able to keep them. So Lazio kept really all of their star players at the beginning of the season for Sarri to use. They also brought in some really interesting buys who've been good, you know, like Zakangi, Pedro, uh, Felipe Anderson, it's not like they didn't spend any money in the summer. You know, Hesai as well, you know, one of Sarri's kind of favourite players of all time. And I don't really know where Sarri's coming from um, because they have spent all that money in the summer. It felt like a lot of those players would work in the kind of Sarri system. It's almost as if he just wants the same, exactly the same players that he had as, at Napoli. So I don't know if he wants them to buy, if he wants Tired to bring in Marek Hamsik or or Alan, but I feel like he's he's got a, a squad there that is that, that he could do a good job with. They could play in that four three three. They've got lots of interesting attacking players. There's no reason for him to to not do a good job. And I also think that he has mismanaged some of those players. Like Luis Alberto has been Lazio's best player for the last three seasons, and yet this season he struggles to get in the side. Lazari has been one of the most attacking, uh, you know, exciting fullbacks in the whole of Serie A, or he certainly was under Inzaghi. And this season he's barely played. So I don't really know what else he expects Latio to do for him. Because Latio, we know that Lotito is is pretty, you know, careful with his finances. I feel like Tade has done a good job over the last few years, like the whole Latio board. And and so what else could Sari want? So if it if it is really as a choice between the two, then for me it's no question that Tade should stay and, and Sadi should leave.
1: Just think on a final note. I mean, yeah, I completely agree with the Lazzari point as well. I think he's been criminally underused. But you know, even this window, I don't think they've had a disastrous month. And if you look at them bringing in Jovan Cabral, he's a really exciting player from Sporting Lisbon, who I think has got a lot to offer for Lazio. And again, it looks like it's been quite shrewd business with the acquisition of him. You compare that to so many clubs of similar size around the continent, they've, there's a lot of clubs that have barely been able to act in the January transfer market. So yeah i'm i'm with Francesca on this i i, I think long term i'd like to see it work out like i said but i'm not very optimistic and i think they should stick to what they had previously
0: one more thing on lazio which is that uh, i i saw just before we recorded this we're recording this thursday night guys um luis felipe has turned down a contract extension apparently and is is likely to join Inter in the summer on a three. Uh, it looks like Inzaghi's trying to get the be, uh, the band back together with Luis Felipe, <laughs> Correa and Caicedo. So we'll, we'll see if that does happen. But that would be a blow for Lazio because he's he's one of their best you know, up-and-coming centre-backs. The last team I want to touch on from a sort of individual perspective is Fiorentina. We we talked about them a little bit earlier. They managed to bring in Cabral, uh, Piatek and Jonathan Icone this month uh, you know a couple of forwards there and a winger they've lost Vlahovic but Francesco do you feel that those three can maybe bring the goals that that they've that they've now lost with Vlahovic
2: um it's going to be I mean replacing Vlaovic is going to be difficult but having said that I feel like these are smart moves by Fiorentina I've I don't know Cabral that well, but his stats are, are good in Switzerland. And from what I've seen of him, he looks like the kind of player who, who could do really well in Serie A. I mean, he himself compares himself to to Adriano. So if he's as good as Adriano, that would be that would be great. Um, if he maybe behaves a bit better, but but he is the the kind of player who could come in and do a really good job for Fiorentina. Andy Corner is also an interesting player. I, I, I like what I see. I think he also fits their system quite well. And the other big plus for Fiorentina is that both of these players are young. You know, I think they're both 23. So They're both 23, and, and um, I think together they cost less than half of what Fiorentina brought in for Vlaovic. So I do think that these are really smart transfers and potentially very good transfers for Fiorentina. Uh, Piontek, I'm I've never been sure about and I'm still not sure about him. I mean, I think he's going to probably be a backup for Cabral um, and we'll see how he gets on. But but I think on paper, at least, I think this is smart business and hopefully it will mean the Fiorentina can carry on their good form and I, I personally would love to see them back in
1: Europe. So we'll see how they finish the season. Yeah, I just wanted to add really, I mean, I've, I, I agree pretty much with all of that. I mean, what I like about... I've seen a lot of really good things about Cabral without ever watching him. So I can't say too much about him, but Icone, I think, sensational piece of business. Obviously, a key part of that Lille title-winning team last season. But the the bit about the Piatek signing I I really like is that it was done in the same window as signing Cabral. And I think, you know, Piatek's had a pretty miserable two or three years now, but he's also had a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And like I said, like Francesco said, sorry, I think he will be coming in the backup. But I do think where that might work really well is, you know, there's big shoes to fill in Vlahovic, which is departure. But I think they could really help each other. There is a bit of a drop in form. Italiano's got that really easy option to just rotate between the two of them until, you know, maybe one of them in particular starts to kick on. But it really gives him a lot of options. And I think it's really, really smart business by Laviola. Aren't you worried, though, that the truth about Piotic is that actually he is
2: rubbish at football? And that, and that you know that people have just found out that's that's what his deal is because i feel like he had that i don't even know how long it was what was it kind of six months eight months where he was incredible for for Genoa and milan and then it was like someone just switched him off they switched <laughs> off his football his football bit because he just can't like he looked so rubbish and I, I don't really understand why they brought. Him. I mean I guess it's because they, they thought he might do what he did at Genoa, but i I, I love the the look of Cabral and personally I would have you know to me, someone like Patrick Cutrone, who was at Fiorentina is is two or three times better than Piontec, if not more. so I don't you know I'd have loved for them, to, for them to have brought in a young Italian maybe and as backup. but you know maybe maybe I'm wrong and um, we'll see we'll see what happens.
0: Bionte's definitely an interesting one. As, as you say, I, I, I think he scored pretty much a goal a game for Genoa. And then I remember his Milan debut was a Coppa Italia game against Napoli. And he scored twice, I think, and, and like gave Koulibaly so many problems. And people were talking about him as the next, obviously he's Polish, so the next Lewandowski, the next Milik, this sort of guy. And and as you say, that that's three years ago now. And and he hasn't lived up to it since, but, but maybe he will get a chance to redeem himself and uh, we'll remember these words, Francesco, because <laughs> he's going to go on and be a sensation now. Um, but yeah, Cabral should be an interesting one coming from Basel, who who have produced some excellent players, you know, Mo Salah and uh, Jordan Shaqiri, to name a couple. Um I'm now going to sort of open the floor to you guys. I'll come to you first, Francesco. Um, for just any other transfers that caught your eye, I'll, I'll, I'll go with one, which is Diogo Perotti to Salonitana, um, the guy with possibly the worst tattoo in football. is back in Serie A. But uh, any others that you'd like to add to the pile?
2: I think w- one that, that interests me um, is Sensi to Sandaria. I know that it's only a loan deal, but to me, Sensi is arguably the most aesthetically pleasing player in Serie A, I think it is a real shame that his time at Inter has been blighted by injuries and um, you know I'm not even sure that it's it's a good move from Inter to move him out to Samp, I think he, it, if he's been fit for a while, he hasn't been getting much game time but we saw in the Coppa Italia against Empoli how he came on, changed the game, scored the winning goal and especially considering that You know, they've got those games against Liverpool coming up where Barella is going to be out for both of those matches. UEFA banned him for both matches. So having an extra player like Sensi who can really change a game, um, you know, I would have been really tempted to keep him. At the same time, I am excited to see him play some football. Um, I think the big question mark for Sensi is, you know, a little bit like Dybala's physical integrity. He just couldn't stay fit for more than two or three games. And at Inter, he just wasn't even getting the chance to, to do that. He wasn't playing enough, you know, he wasn't getting enough minutes on the pitch. So it'd be great to see him kind of play 10 matches in a row for Sandaria and see where he's at. I think, you know, he could still be a, a great player for maybe Inter in the future. He's only gone out on loan and, and especially Italy. So I, I, that's, that's an interesting one for me.
0: I think I officially cursed Sensi, to be honest, because I remember about two and a half years ago when he played... He turned up at Inter from Sassarolo, played the first sort of eight games, was the best player in the league by a mile at the start of the season. And I wrote a piece on how I thought he was going to become like the next great Italian midfielder. And he then got immediately injured and has never been fit since. So I feel like I I I need to apologise to Stefano Sensi for yeah. I career. Mean, it, it
2: sounds like it is your fault, Sam.
0: Yeah, it, it could well be my fault if, if anyone does believe in sort of witchcraft or whatever (laughs) but uh, how about you Michael, were were there one or two others that maybe caught your eye?
1: Yeah, I mean I was actually going to say Sensi, I I thought it was strange that Lazio didn't go in for him either because I thought he would really be a typical Sarri player that he would have enjoyed working with but no, my second choice would be Samuel Ricci from um, Empoli to Torino on loan I think he's been key to Empoli's success recently and We've seen how well-managed Torino have for the bulk of this season. They do seem to drop off every time you think they're about to really kick on a little bit, quite frustratingly. But yeah, I think Ricci is a really, really uh, smart piece of business by Ivan Juric uh, for Ivan Juric's team at Torino. And it, it kind of reminds me of some of the really smart acquisitions he was making when he was Hellas Verona boss, um, obviously up until the end of last season. And uh, yeah, I think that's another one people should really look out for. Yeah, Michael's just
2: reminded me, actually, mentioning Torino. They've also signed Pellegrini from from Milan, well, kind of Monaco via Milan. And um, again, for the same sort of reasons, Joric is the kind of manager who's been getting lots of ex-players. I think Pellegrini is still young. He obviously burst on the scene two or three seasons ago and it hasn't really worked out for him since. But I feel like that guy has massive potential and is in a position where Italy could really do with someone you know, really stepping up. So I hope that he's going to get some game time at Torino. And, and yeah, it would be great to see him flourish and, and kind of fulfil his potential.
0: Yeah, it's definitely been one of the busier uh, January transfer windows. Uh, sometimes it can be a bit of a timid affair, but, but we've had some big moves this summer and we'll, and we'll see how they go in the second half of the season. I want to finish the episode by looking ahead to this weekend. Serie A returns and the biggest game by quite some distance is the Milan derby. Um, I, I saw a stat earlier, Michael, actually, that Milan have only won one of the last 11 derbies, I think. So they've got quite a bad record in this particular fixture. Um, and I think they enter this as the clear underdogs. Would you would you agree with that? Um, and and also do you feel if in to win this game, it's a huge step towards retaining the title for them?
1: Yeah, my short answer would just be yes to both of your questions. I think that. I think AC Milan definitely come into this game as underdogs and but I definitely think they're surely going to be the neutral's pick for this because it is kind of resting upon them to keep the title race alive, whether that's for themselves or for Napoli or even Juve, which seems a huge outside bet at the moment. But it it is such a pivotal game in Inter Milan's season as well. And I guess one of the interesting things that could happen if AC Milan were to win, which I do think is quite unlikely, but they've surprised many people this season with many of their performances and you never know what's going to happen in the derby do you but you know with Inzaghi not winning a title before and the team being slightly different to the one from last season you do wonder if that could be a result that could really unsettle into Milan because at the in the last two or three months they've frankly looked unstoppable generally in Italian football and in the Serie A and I, I think, we, yeah, I'd really just be hoping for an AC Milan victory just to keep that title race open for a little bit longer. But yeah, I'm not too confident. I mean, maybe not in the result per se, but in anybody actually beating Inter Milan to the title this season.
0: Yeah, if, if Inter did win the game, they'd go seven points clear of Milan with a game in hand. I'm um, Just looking at some sort of early... Uh, team news Francesco it looks like um, Ibrahimović and Rebic are likely to miss out I saw but Picayo Tomori could return and and I think this is a bit sooner than expected I think people expect him to be out for a little while when he first got injured how big a boost would it be for that Milan defence if, if he is fit to play do you think
2: It would be a huge boost for Milan to have Tomori back. Uh, He he had such a good start to the season. I mean, since he's arrived at at Milan, he's been excellent. But I would be very cautious about playing him. I think he really does change Milan's defence when he's there and not having Kier as well for the rest of the season. You know, I am a bit worried about Milan. Um, It feels like you're there are surely going to get their act together now and they're going to be challenging for that top four. And whilst there is a chance that Milan challenge for the league, I still think it's more likely that they drop out of the top four. So uh, I personally wouldn't be risking Tomori unless they know that he's well, because if he gets injured again and then they're without Kieran Tomori for for another long period, I think you know that could cause them some real problems going forwards.
0: In terms of how the two teams set up, we know um, Inter are very likely to go with a three-five-two, and Milan are likely to go with a four-two-three-one. So, so different systems, obviously. But are, are there any sort of key battles that you're really looking forward to, Michael? That that perhaps fans should be looking out for on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe my favourite AC Milan player this season has been Raphael. So seeing, you know, he is expected to feature, I believe, and he's probably going to play quite a central role with those absences that you just mentioned. So whether he's going to be coming off the left-hand side, to which we might be seeing him against um, Dumfries. And... Uh, who, I'm just trying to think who's on the right it's side of the scrind- back three again. Is it, it's not it's The, the right? No, Skriniar, no, yeah. It's will be in the middle, uh, and scr- it, on the
0: right. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So seeing them so against those two and how they look to, whether they do drop quite deep, which isn't so common of into this season, um, because Leo's certainly going to win that foot race, or so whether Dumfries just helps out a bit more. I'll be really intrigued to see how that goes. Yeah. Um, I'd say that aside, I'd say, you know, I guess the midfield battle, we just, we discussed Kessie's role earlier and into Milan, maybe, you know, have such a, you know, the midfield's been so key to their success recently. And I think, yeah, the midfield battle will also be an interesting one.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Francesco. I know just before Christmas, you you actually said you thought Brozovic was the best player in Serie A in the first uh, part of the season it looks like it could be him up against sort of Tonali who's, you know, I guess the young pretender coming through. Um, So how key do you think that could be in the middle of the park?
2: Yeah. I mean, Michael's just mentioned it, that I think if it's true that Kessie is going to play kind of in the Diaz role behind the, behind the striker, then a, a big part of that decision might be to stop Brozovic playing. Other teams have done that this season and, um, he is so key to the way Inter play, um, so I, I'd expect it more to be a, a kind of Kessier versus Brozovic than than Tonali versus Brozovic. But I do think that Michael's right to underline the midfield, um, and and playing Kessier plus Benasere and Tonali possibly uh, might help Milan, you know, to to contrast the Inter midfield. Michael also mentioned that left side of Milan's attack, so so Inter's right side. I think defensively as well, seeing Dumfries. Go up against Teo Hernandez could be interesting because I think both of those players are very good going forwards, but maybe there are a few question marks about them defensively. And uh, it could be interesting to see how they deal with each other. Um, you know, they're both really exciting going forward. So, yeah, that that I think that side of the pitch uh, for both teams is go- is going to be important.
0: Yeah, really, really interesting game coming up straight after the break. Uh, that we, you know, the two week break that we've just had. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, a Milan victory would really blow the league open again. So um, fascinating match on Saturday, 5pm UK time uh, for anyone who who wants to catch that one. Uh, And thanks a lot for joining me today, Francesca and Michael. I'll catch you again soon. And thanks everyone for listening. Ciao.